This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? How is your plastic-free July going? If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, then do go back and check out last week's short little solo episode from me, or do just search online for plastic-free July and all should be revealed. But hopefully, if your social media feed is anything like mine, it will be highly curated to be and you'll be being bombarded with plastic free July posts and ideas and will be fired up with motivation. Now if you've been listening for a little while you may have correctly got the idea that I am possibly the world's worst planner. So I am actually ridiculously excited and pleased with myself to have a plastic themed guest. That sounds horrible. Plastic themed guest sounds like she's plastic. She's not. Uh, lined up during Plastic Free July and in this episode I am chatting to Joe Royal who is the founder and CEO of Common Seas, an organisation on a mission to quickly and significantly reduce the amount of plastic produced and stop it polluting our rivers and seas. Joe is an inspiration as I think all our guests are uh, and as a former sailor Joe was very aware of the issues that plastic is causing to our marine environments and as well as being a really keen advocate of personal changes and it sounds like she's absolutely smashing the plastic less life herself. She's also focused on the big systemic and policy changes that we need to see to make it easier for all of us to use less single use plastic and it was absolutely wonderful to hear about the work that they're doing, how we can get involved and just uplifting to know that there are so many wonderful people out there doing so many amazing things. So enjoy this episode and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, Joe. Welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to chatting to you. I'm slightly jealous that you've still got nice weather where you are in Devon. I think we're about to get your rain any minute. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this and it's just we've just had that break in the weather after a really a couple of weeks of really nice sunny we'd all got used to the sunshine and now I've got my jumper and my cardi back on. Joe, can you introduce yourselves? Tell it your tell us what you do. Yeah, so I'm Joe Royal and I'm the founder and now CEO of Common Seas. And Common Seas is a social enterprise on a mission to eradicate plastic waste from our environment and our bodies actually. 
you've got the most amazing story and actually I'm quite intimidated by you because you, you reading about you you seem like someone who just gets shit done like you don't <laughs> I don't know if you feel like that but I mean you've got this amazing story and and all the things you've done as a salesperson is that I don't know what's the right yeah. <laughs> so um, how did you get interested in the ocean um well thank you but Actually, I've, I've had, the ocean has been a huge draw to me since I was a little girl. And, and then I kind of I left school and as soon as I had the time, I started to explore the ocean by sailboat um, and just kind of became addicted to spending spending time at, time at sea. And I suppose, say, December 10 years ago, I was landing home to England, having set a world record for the longest voyage made on a boat out of plastic bottles. Right. Uh, okay. How, how, <laughs> world record attempt, amazing. What, what made you think, oh, I'm going to make a boat out of plastic bottles? Like I, I would kind of get two bottles and maybe an elastic band and be like, that floats. But then I wouldn't go, oh, do you know what? I can <laughs> sail on that. Like, how do you even start? Well, well, actually, it wasn't my, it wasn't my idea. It was. <laughs> A wonderful creative um, environmentalist called David de Rothschild had contacted me uh, because at the time I was um, a recognised ocean racing, sailing and um, expedition skipper who was using any kind of media attention or opportunity to share my concerns about mm. what I was seeing as I was, as I was travelling the ocean. So it was, it was David's idea and um, he'd read a UN report that was published over a decade ago now about an this island of plastic building in the North Pacific Gyre and wanted to work together to, to raise the alarm. And we didn't just want to talk about the problem, but we wanted to talk about the solutions. Right. Uh, so we set about building, uh, I think, the world's first uh, ocean-going sailing vessel that was designed to the strictest uh, circular economy principles. And then we tested it by sailing from San Francisco to Sydney, mainly because they both began with S and it sounded quite <laughs> um, And we ensured that the world's media came along that voyage and, and they did. We arrived in Sydney Harbour with more press helicopters and sinking wow. pontoons full of journalists, which was great. But um, despite all this attention, uh, there was more plastic in the sea when we finished than there was when we set off and I suppose that led me to hang up my sailing boots and my ambition to race around the world single-handed and dedicate the time that I had to restoring the natural balance between people and the sea. So what year was that you did the? So it was it's 10 years ago this year. Wow. Yeah so it wasn't as trendy back then to work on plastic waste it was like what? well that was <laughs> you know pre-Blue Planet 2, wasn't it? Which feels oh, like, yeah. for, for us as as the sort of public, that feels like almost the sort of watershed moment where everyone was like, wow. But obviously you were aware of that, you know, eight years or and more before that. Yeah. Just quickly, because I'm fascinated by this boat. When you say made out of plastic bottles, is it lit was it literally, you know, old Evian bottles sort of glue gun together or had you melted them down into, into plastic and reformed them into a, a proper boat? Well, it's a very good question. Because... <laughs> in my head, it's the Evian bottles and the glue gun. Well, um, it's a bit of both. But when I arrived in San Francisco, I went, we had uh, the mayor at the time, Gavin Newsom, uh, had given us Pier 29 and a half. Anyone that's been to San Francisco will have 
may have been on the Alcatraz ferry. So we had, which is just located next door to where we built the Plastiki. And I went into this rickety, very kind of charismatic San Francisco pier to be greeted by this kind of mountain, I think, of uh, 12,000 plastic bottles that had Mm. been collected from landfill and cleaned. And it was like, right, we've got the bottles. How are we going to put them together and build a boat that is going to, you know, carry the lives of five sailors uh, across the world's largest ocean? So the end, the end product, and it, and it took us a long time to kind of design the boat and, and the materials, learn about, you know, designing for a circular economy and, and, and build the boat. And it, and it was a really a collaborative project that brought in material scientists and, um, and designers from around the world. So the superstructure, it was, the design was inspired by a Polynesian sailing vessel mm-hmm. and the superstructure so it's like a catamaran 60 foot the two halls were 60 foot long um, and the superstructure was made from um, panels that we made from PET mm-hmm. um, which is the same material as the bottles yeah. so one of the main principles of designing for a circular economy is to use low toxic materials and kind of the minimum amount of different types of materials in one product basically. right so the purer the product is, the, the easier it can be re- reused or recycled. So the superstructure was, was PET and the buoyancy, the bottles kind of fat, fitted in to uh, these panels and, and forms the buoyancy of the boat. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I've got so many questions for you, but just to pick up, because you've talked about the circular economy. You've mentioned that a couple of times. For anyone who hasn't heard that term before, can you explain that to us? Well, there's many definitions of a, a circular economy, but the way um, we see that is is kind of much of the harm that we um, uh, that we place on nature and the threat that we place on nature is because we have a very kind of take, make, dispose mm. uh, relationship. And with the circular economy, we're looking at, at using natural resource for as long as well, reducing the use of natural resource and mm. using anything we take from nature for as long as as long as we possibly can. And being inspired by nature's principles of kind of, you know, a cycle of um, kind of rebirth. Okay. And so when did you first become aware of the issue of plastic? And, you know, as someone who's been sailing for a long time, it sounds like, when did you suddenly become aware, like you were seeing, is it a bit like as, um, you know, until you, until someone says, God, there's a lot of litter around, you don't really notice it. And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, there's litter everywhere and I need to do something about this. So was was it always there and then you suddenly realised or did it get much worse or how did that work? Um, there'd be times when we'd be crossing oceans and we'd sail through areas of, of waste at sea and I'd be like, oh God, that's a bit strange. So is it literally you're sailing along and you just start to see more plastic bottles or is it literally like a, you know, when you see those pictures of the um, the big ocean plastic gyre, is it is it literally like that that you're just sort of? It's rare to see that, but um, you know, for example, I remember seeing off um, the kind of north coming into the in, into Bermuda, so coming out of the North Atlantic. I remember sailing through an area where all of a sudden you're sailing through plastic waste or waste, but it was quite rare. Um, and at the time, I thought, oh, maybe it's a ship that's gone before us and, and dumped their waste at sea. Wow. Um, and then it became more and more apparent, for example, you know, landing on really remote islands 
and that the island community really struggling with the management of their yeah. waste and also seeing such accumulation of waste in the harbors um, and then I suppose the thing that really pulls at your heartstrings is you know I used to love sailing in the southern ocean and and um, try and exploring the Antarctic Peninsula and you know this environment is so wild and and so precious and really you do feel that you're the only human to have ever mm. landed on some of these beaches and to be then greeted by plastic is is kind of a real like oh how can we you know, have such respect for nature and for the oceanic systems, yet kind of have, you know, deliver such disconnect and mm. our material choices, just seeing that our material choices have such far reaching impacts, like the Antarctic Peninsula is over a thousand miles away from the nearest city, yet our waste is accumulating wow. there. So that really um, sparked my curiosity and and led me to go back to university and study environmental science and policy. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I hung, yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. And so you did this um, amazing world record voyage. And then is, was it at that point that then you set up Common Seas? No. So at that point, I... Um, well, I went back to university and so because I've been a sailor and my, mm. whole, my whole life had been about being... Uh, a sailor and uh, so I went to university and I studied environmental science and policy and then I did as I did with my sailing I identified those environmental um, ocean advocates who I admired the most who I felt mm. were the most effective from kind of policymakers, communi- communicators and philanthropists and went and learned alongside them and then um, over that time realized that there was very little, I was still sailing and, and still seeing this buildup of plastic in these magically remote places and, and felt that we weren't, there wasn't anyone kind of addressing that in a really systematic way. And it was an incredibly underfunded problem and one that I feel is, is kind of the most rapidly emerging environmental crises. Mm. So once I felt like I'd had some of the experience and, and more importantly got the support then I, I started Common Seas. So to go right back to basics, some people might say, well, what is the big deal with plastic in the oceans? Because if you just imagine a few plastic bottles bobbing along, they seem a relatively inert thing. Yes, they look a bit unsightly, but what's, does it, does mm. it really matter? So, well, yes, it does really matter. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, we all now see plastic in the environment from our community to our streams to our rivers to our you know beach uh, on our beach holidays Uh, we know it's in the Mariana Trench the deepest trenches in the world we know it's in um, the sediment of the southern ocean we know it's in the um, arctic sea ice and now we're starting to see it and, and common seas is just be about to uh, publish some really interesting research that that sees it sees plastic particles in our blood in our blood. So today we know it's everywhere, and um, what's very concerning is that um, last year Common Seas was very proud to be a partner with um, Ellen MacArthur Foundation Systemic uh, Pew Trust, Oxford University in Leeds, and we did. Spent a lot of uh, invested a lot of time in in modelling the um, trajectory of plastic pollution, and we 
alarmingly um, concluded that there'll be four times the amount of plastic in the ocean within 20 years than there is today, that wow. there is a, a, a forecasted investment of $2.3 trillion in making new plastics. And if we achieve that investment, then, then plastic will comprise of a fifth of the available carbon budget to keep us at the 1.5 wow. degrees. So it's not about, you know, we've progressed now from, we were all, our hearts ached at seeing a picture of a turtle mm. with in its nose. And, you know, our hearts will always ache at seeing that. And the threat of plastic on marine mammals is, mm. um, and, and biodiversity is, is um, catastrophic. But this is, it, it's become much, much bigger than um, an ocean issue now. And in fact, you know, that's why Common Seas invests um, a significant proportion of our time and resources into looking at the human health impacts of plastic. Yeah, no, it's just kind of mind boggling. So, oh, the, and I was going to say, actually, there's that statistic, isn't there, from Ellen MacArthur Foundation about, um, is it by 2050, there'd be more plastic than fish in the ocean by weight or something? Yeah, I mean, yes, and let's hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that plastic that's in the ocean, like I said, we might think of sort of plastic bubbles bobbling around and plastic bottles, sorry, bobbling around and, and the that iconic picture of the turtle eating the plastic bag and that sort of thing. Do you have any data on like, what's the proportion of like whole plastic versus microplastics? Um, it's very difficult to, to quantify the amount of plastics in the ocean. And, and basically plastic, it doesn't biodegrade. So any plastic that has ever been made is on the planet, is in our environment somewhere. Mm, mm. Okay? A significant proportion of plastic that, you know, we, we, we generate 220 billion tonnes of plastic waste each year, 40% of that ends up in our environment. Wow. And, if, and I always imagine the ocean being at the bottom of the hill. Mm. So I, I always, you know, you, you imagine a lot of that ending up in the ocean. And over time, uh, the plastic kind of photodegrades. So it breaks down, like as it's traveling the seas, it bumps and grinds and mm. breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of the microplastic generation is, is that. A lot of microplastic generation in the UK comes from tire dust and the shedware mm. and the, you know, the, tires disintegrate or grind away their, um, throughout their life. And then obviously the uh, leach into the sea through, through drainage. Um, so that's, a, that's one of the main contributors of microplastics in the, in the UK. Wow. So now we're all feeling a bit like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the solutions? What are some of the things that, that common seas are working on? Yeah, so, so Common Seas is on a mission, really, we work across three principles. So we work to drive government policy, we work to catalyze like the cultural shift in the way that we make, use and uh, dispose of plastics. And we invest in um, circular economy solutions. So when we're talking about drive government policy, we're, uh, we have a target of supporting out of the the 20 countries that produce the most plastic into the environment, only 11 of those 20 countries don't have any holistic 
policy roadmap to address plastic pollution. So we would like to work with these most polluting countries to support them to have a policy roadmap, like a, a course to steer. So those, those top 20 countries, are we in that? We're not in the top 20 most leaking countries. Right. We're in the top league of um, plastic waste generation, but we have quite effective, well, domestically, we have quite effective waste management. Um, and our, you know, our, the concern for our, our country is um, the tra- you know, shipping waste overseas. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, Common Seas works in, in Surabaya and in Indonesia, which is one of the, which is an Indonesian city that imports a lot of plastic waste. And, and when we ship plastic overseas, that's when we uh, contribute to mostly to plastic pollution in the environment. It's, it always seems absolutely mental to me that someone went, oh, we've got all this plastic that we don't know what to do with. Let's ship it somewhere that has less infrastructure than we do. Like, and, and assume that they can deal with it. It just seems absolutely like who signed off on that? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> yes. And I think that it, it's something that we hope to see the British government you know, really act on. And you know we've already we've already seen countries leading the charge on, on not accepting waste anymore. Mm-hmm. As China and um, Turkey have now uh, become more outspoken as we sh- as UK ships a lot of waste to Turkey. It's just mad, isn't it? And so these these sort of um, I want to say I quite liked that phrase of of plastic uh, sort of leaking. I think you said or something like that. But obviously I don't like it because it's horrible. But so so are we talking about countries that? that you know don't so we take it for granted that our rubbish comes and is collected and we love whinging about how you know infrequent that might be or our changes in our recycling policy but there's lots of countries that don't have that infrastructure they don't have structured rubbish collections they don't have um so we're talking about those kinds of of countries that you know the the rubbish just is kind of dumped in the river type thing yeah exactly we're talking about um about country so we're we're talking about supporting a lot of low middle income countries mm. that have huge uh, you know, have high population and very little waste management infrastructure mm. and kind of emerging economies and our drive really is is really focused on trying to support the trans coach and, and share our knowledge into how communities can progress with reduce reducing the amount of plastic actually needed through kind of reduction and refill. Mm. systems yeah I mean it's very very difficult for us uh, and I'm sure you find it too and I and I find it but it's very very difficult right now to live without plastic yeah you know it's like obviously not all plastic is bad mm-hmm. like the plastic that's used in the health in healthcare, and you know, that application of plastic is, is extremely valuable but the single-use plastic and the mass consumption of kind of convenience food, mm. food on the go, and and single-use plastic is the is the real priority to kind of break free from. Yeah. Um, and in order to do that, um, we need to kind of we need governments and businesses to provide us the systems that enable it to become more convenient for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, convenience is is huge, isn't it? And you know. And and we probably all feel a bit rubbish saying, well, yeah, my lot of, but the vast majority of our choices are, you know, dictated by convenience, aren't they? But 
One thing that really shocked me, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I watched uh, The Story of Plastic, which is a um, yeah. documentary from Annie Leonard's yeah. team. Had no idea that in some of these developing countries, like sachets are so ubiquitous. So a family might not be able to afford a, bo- a bottle of shampoo. You know, we whinge about having to, you know, oh, all this plastic in this bottle of shampoo. And so every day or, you know, every week, whatever, they will buy a little sachet of shampoo or a little sachet yeah. of washing up liquid or a little sachet of, because they can afford it on that day to day thing. And mm-hmm. there's no mechanism in place to to collect these things to recycle these things to you know they're not even talking about the circular economy kind of designed to be recycled and things and that just blew me away that you know we feel like it's an overwhelming issue over here and then that's feels like another 10 steps in the wrong direction. Common Seas has not yet done any work on sachets and it's a really kind of it's really complicated because the sachet is, you know, very to drive any value in a collection and recycle and reuse system. Mm. The material has to have a post-use value. Yeah, and the sachet is a laminate material of a metal and and plastic. Mm. It's very lightweight. To collect any volume takes a, a huge amount of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you are collecting waste, you're going to go for the higher value, like the PET bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rigid plastics collect them and then you can sell them on mm. the sachets you're never going to pick through and grab and grab enough yeah, yeah, yeah. and any money from so and and at the same time yes the sachets are very uh, or, or smaller volumes of products personal care household cleaning product is very very important for for people that live off um, a small amount of money and are particularly those people that get paid on a daily basis mm. monthly and it's always confused me because those sachets per volume, the product in those sachets is much more expensive than mm. it is bulk buy. So I've always thought for, for the producers of personal care and household cleaning into those, in selling onto the market in sachets, you know, that it's ripe for a reuse model. Mm. And that, you know, the, the profit margin that they're getting from um, the increase, you know, the, the increase uh, that they're, they're charging consumers for sachets in, in comparison to bulk, that profit margin could be spent on delivering these reuse systems in, into communities. But th- this is where it starts to sort of really hurt my head, because then I think, well, you know, this needs, as you say, government policy shifts, this needs businesses to absolutely like transform their business models. And yeah. it needs that cultural shift, you know, yeah. it's a big change in how you shop and that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And I just think, oh, God, it's, <laughs> it's terribly complex. And it's so, and I suppose that's why Common Seas, you know, we do the policy work. So we support governments to really understand their country's plastic pollution characteristics and, and then to introduce them to the um, portfolio of mitigation strategies or solutions that are available for a government. And then at the same time, we work at a community level to go, right, okay, you know, in the Maldives, for example, um, plastic bottles comprise 50% of the Maldives single-use plastic waste. Uh, So then we support the community to install uh, refill and we support households to install water filters so that they don't need plastic bottles. And then we work with the the business community to look at, okay, what are the alternatives to plastic bottles for Mm. shampoos and, and household cleaning products? And then in Indonesia, when we arrived in Indonesia, we work on the Brantas River. I mean, the Brantas River is um, cited to be one of the most polluted rivers in the world. 
um, when we started work there, we did an investigation into what, what materials are in the Branchas River. And we worked out that 50% of the pollution in that river is from single-use nappies. Wow. And actually, we think that between 1.5 and 2 million single-use nappies are entering that river every single day. So is that people not having a rubbish collection and literally chucking them in the river? Or how are they getting in there? Um, yeah, it's it's a mix, actually, of, yes, people not having access to waste management mm. is very important, is very key. And also there is um, a very localised cultural, um, embedded cultural belief that if you put your nappy in the in the water, it could bring some cleansing benefits to your child. But if oh, you wow. it, burn it, then actually that's bringing, um, it could bring harm uh, to your child's future. I mean, both options aren't great, to be honest, are they, for your child's future? <laughs> no, exactly. And it, and and talking about, yeah, so so there we're, we're demonstrating, in fact, it's been a very rapid project, a rapidly growing project where we've got um, the support of, we've started a social enterprise that is run by women, um, mothers that live along the Brantas and they're making and um, selling reusable diapers. And at the same time, because they are the, you know, they're the agents of change. Mm, mm. They're communicating the importance of, you know, the health of the river, on which is their source of drinking water, yeah. on their child's future. And we're just seeing that spread so well across the region. It's incredibly empowering. So I suppose coming back to your question around, yes, it's incredibly complex and it's really creating the ecosystem for change is it's really time consuming and so many highs and lows yes <laughs> but it's um yeah that the demonstration of circular economy is incredibly important for us to understand how to turn that that theory into into action and what kind of responses are you getting from the likes of I don't know Unilever or you know those really big brands that are pumping out a lot of this plastic yeah. are they just sort of fingers in the ears hoping it'll go away are they actively engaging in this how is that well it's an interesting question because um yeah for many years I I worked um at convening kind of big business to introduce the, the issue of plastic pollution and uh, what that business could do in in delivering kind of ocean friendly product um and you know Commonsies really was born on that kind of work it was actually His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, ended up helping us to facilitate big business to come together and eventually uh, commit to what's now known as the UK Plastic Pact. So to to work together to re- to reduce plastic waste through um, alternative materials and systems. And then I became quite frustrated at the mm. at the speed of change, and um, we've actually moved away from working with big business at the moment Mm. and just because we're a small organization we can't do everything yeah so we really focus on kind of the um, government policy uh, demonstrating systems changing community investing in research to understand the health impacts and then in in education through schools programs yeah a lot of what I focus on is this idea of you know individual change and how the sort of power that we have as as consumers and the power of our choices and things and I, and I you know often get the question well surely it shouldn't all be on consumers and of course it's not all on consumers you know I talk about this idea of this Venn diagram where we've got businesses and governments and and individuals and hopefully this nice 
But do you feel like governments is a more effective use of your resources in that sometimes businesses won't change until they're forced to? Do you feel like, you know, we're, we're sort of expecting businesses to have a conscience and to be leading this, whereas actually maybe they need a bit of a kick up the butt and this is what needs to change? Yeah, I think your Venn diagram is right. And the, and the, and the middle and the, you know, the, the crossover is, is where we need to be at. I think that we have to work in a phased approach, like we mm. come and see um, and we also like work as part of a network of other fantastic um, environmentalists and NGOs that mm. are working on plastics and, and other environmental, you know, ocean issues. And um, there are those that are working like the Ella MacArthur Foundation mm. who are working very closely with business. Uh, okay. So we just feel it really, it's really urgent to support those countries that don't have, haven't had the opportunity or the resource to really understand their plastic yeah. to to set their course to steer. Yeah. And uh, so that's our that's our focus, and we would do anything we can to support our our colleagues and other organisations to really push the big polluters to deliver the refill system or the reduction in the refill mm. systems that enable us citizens to um to to do to do our part so yeah you know pepsi coke nestle Mm. they're always the top three and um i wouldn't be surprised if common seas comes back into doing more kind of direct work with with business Mm. i suppose we the reason why we invest in the research with into human health is that we feel that if we you know if if we build the evidence case yeah that shows that plastic particles are building in our body, they're accumulating, you know, that we know that they're flowing through our blood, they're accumulating in our uh, tissues, and we understand what harm that does to us. So at the moment, the science is quite fragmented, but it it indicates to us that this buildup of plastic, the physical particles in our system is causing inflammation. And if we can prove that, then I think we then have a stronger evidence case to support the boards of Coke, Pepsi, Unilever, oh, sorry, um, um, Nestle, to then um, have the evidence for them to take a hit in their share price while they while they introduce mm. the systems that then enable us to live with with less plastic waste. So these health impacts is something that I think I, I don't know how long the sort of scientific community has been looking into it, but I think it's something that we're only kind of in, as the general public becoming aware of. And isn't there a, there's a, you know, a meme or a stat or something that, that does the rounds on social media about eating a credit card's worth of plastic. And I don't know if that's every month or every year or how yeah. often that's, that's supposed to be. How are we ingesting this plastic? Well, plastic is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, my paint is plastic and I can rub it and I'm probably oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. micro, you know, nanoparticles of plastic, you know, my carpet is plastic, coating, you know, everything around me is plastic. Mm. There's plastic in, in lipsticks and all sorts of, you know, personal care wow. products. So, and also, you know, like clothes. Yeah. And as you're pulling your clothes over your head, you know, you're breathing. So, so plastic gets into us through the water, you know, the food, through our orally and, and through our, through our breath and does it come in can it be go through your skin can it go through the skin barrier or not um I'm not sure I don't know okay because I think that's really interesting because we often I think about it as a you know that whole thing of plastic entering the food chain with the little plankton eating it and the fishes and that sort of thing and then and then us 
physically eating it but actually wasn't there um I'm sure Hugh Fernley Whittingstall did something on the was it the war on plastic and they put some kind of monitor didn't they in people's homes as to how much plastic was sort of in the in the air in the environment and as you say our our carpets are plastic our paint is plastic and and we're literally kind of breathing breathing it in aren't we in this sort of household pollution and then you just like yeah yeah just want to there, there's a wonderful scientist at imperial actually just moved to king's called stephanie wright and she put filters on the top of buildings in in london to understand the microplastic content in the air in the air in london and and you, and again coming back to the microplastics you know we talked about tire dust the mm. shed air, uh, being the uk's most significant contributor to plastic pollution is is tire dust so that not only gets sort of um you know leached and and when it rains but we're breathing that in as part of the air pollution no yeah, breathing that in as part of that yeah exactly so with the tire dust thing is there a solution to that i mean obviously give up cars and stop driving but uh you know how can we invent tires that don't shed as many microplastics or yeah i think um some the quality this some tires shed less than others okay um and i I think that a kind of convening of the of the sector could develop more of a, a loan model. So a hire where you hire your tires oh, okay. to you run down, you trade them back in. Mm. So yeah, there are circular, you know, practices that could be adopted to reduce, but it's yeah it yeah. is a, an industry shift so that was a, a bit of a tangent just cars, it... go back to three-wheel cars maybe yes that's <laughs> a good, yeah and then you're reducing it by uh, a quarter aren't you yeah this is my argument with my um my youngest I have about you know I'm like come on let's cycle to school and he's like no because we've got an electric car it's fine mommy and I'm like no there are other ways that the cars are polluting the um the planet but um, so in, so we're ingesting all this plastic that we're often not aware of and it causes, you said that causes inflammation. Do we know yet what that can then lead on to? I know a lot of plastics are um, sort of mimic hormones and things, don't they? Yeah, look, I think we need to be, um, you know, when I was working kind of 10 years ago as an activist around plastics, I think I very quickly stood up and said, you know, plastic's bad for our health and, mm-hmm. and then the industry lobby are like, well, what's the evidence? So I do think we need to be careful about what we say about the human health impacts okay. of plastic because, as you said earlier, it is a very emerging and new mm. area and it could be one that is incredibly powerful accelerating a reduction of plastic waste or a mm. reduction of plastic produced and therefore plastic waste. But we do have to build the evidence case. Yeah. Obviously, we don't need... You know, we can't just like wait for the science. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But we can't at the same time we can't inflate, you know, uh, statements that that don't have any sure. have any evidence. So all we know today really is that plastic is in our bodies. Um, plastic particles are in our bodies, and there is strong links to. And if you imagine, you know, like a plastic particle enters your body, and then your army of immune cells yes. come and kind of tackle it, and then attack it, and and they can't break it down because plastic's persistent. Yes. We see it in the sea. So then more and more immune cells come together. And then before you know it, you have an inflammation. So mm. that's, that kind of makes sense to us yeah, all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we also know that inflammation causes these very kind of popular and, and chronic diseases such as rheumatoid, right. Crohn's, arthritis, you know, um, and asthmas. So at the moment, I think, you know, common disease is 
working our way through to kind of invest in what we call science for advocacy. Mm. So we've invested in you know, wild fishing for plastic particles in our blood. We've now got um, intestine and brain tissue in a lab and we're wow. looking at the accumulation of plastic in, in that tissue and, and trying to work out whether that accumulation is uh, correlated to any kind of granulosis or you know, in, mm. in tissue. Um, and then we really want to, but we've not got funding yet, but we really want to then kind of have um, 10 people on a very high plastic diet. So everything they consume is from plastic, you know, food and beverage wrapped in single use plastics and then 10 people on no plastic diet. And we want to then who's going to volunteer to be the plastic people? Oh, I know. Maybe. I think we have, I think Common Sea's crew are pretty committed. I'm sure. Oh we can my God. <laughs> wow. So I think that, you know, just building the evidence case slowly and, and, and helping to attract more finance into the research is, is really important. Yeah. Now, one of the questions we I had a little. Slowly. I don't mean build the evidence case slowly. I mean, building the ev- evidence case urgently is yes. important. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, one of the, the we had a little sort of pre-planning uh, meeting um, with some people from your team before this chat. And one of the questions that somebody said, and it really struck me, was like, are we OK to keep talking about individual action mm. when what we need is these systemic changes? Mm. And I I kind of struggle with that because I'm like, it's a bit I talk um, about I think George Monbiot is quite dismissive about, you know, banning plastic straws and things like that and what we really need to do is overthrow capitalism and I always say well that's great but I I know how to I know where I can get a non-plastic reusable straw but I don't know how to overthrow capitalism and as a you know busy tired you know working mum how do I get involved in pushing for systemic change? Mm. Mm. So we do we've touched on it previously haven't we about you know the the businesses putting producing and marketing particularly single-use plastic which is the material that's really choking our environment those businesses do need to have the response and pay for and have the responsibility of managing that material from the moment it's born Mm. to collecting it yeah first use and making sure that there's second third and fourth and Mm. how how we can and that is what we call a policy of extended producer responsibility Mm. and it's absolutely critical that governments and businesses commit to an extended producer responsibility and it's being very and it's very slow to being realized and as we said before we need to as citizens be enabled to Mm. use the plastic waste free alternative like i'm very engaged in the plastics issue have been for a long time my nearest uh refill shop is you know 40 minutes drive away mm, yeah. like you do you know super busy people and then on a Saturday morning I take my bags of refill containers yes. to the shop and it's almost like a day out yes and, you know, and I'm I, I do that because I because you know I live and breathe it but I can't you know some days you get busy and mm. the Saturday comes and you've got to do something else and then you've got a week of like you go to the co-op and everything's wrapped in plastic mm. and it's really sad and so we we do need to so as a citizen we do need to kind of feel the power of an of activism through asking our local shops be it you know 
marks or you know the supermarkets we use co-op asda sainsbury's to enable us to reduce plastic by having refill options mm, mm. that's one thing however like you say that's a little bit a step away from your your personal action you can take in your household so what we do at common seas to help to motivate us all is is every so often we have a week where we look into our bins and we look at the the volume and the types mm. of plastic in our bins and we pick another item and we think yeah. right we're going to champion just this item and we all choose something different and we yeah. go on a journey to kind of get it out of our life mm. and often what you find is that and this is why I find plastic so interesting because it's connected to so many uh it, it's connected to our need to kind of live a little bit more locally take yes. a little bit more, yeah. be a bit slower mm. and um you know you find like okay well coffee was in my bin for a long time and then you know I met my local roaster and now I take my tin and it's like this little ritual you know yeah more to my community around me trying to find these alternatives yeah so I think you know you can have a lot of joy in in eradicating these plastic items from your bin yeah is there anything that you're personally still struggling with? Like for us, it's yes. good, yeah. good. <laughs> what are your, what are your big struggles? Like we really struggle with like crisps, yogurt, like lots of, you know, what are your personal struggles? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the personal struggles are sometimes align with how busy my calendar is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in an ideal world, I'd be making all my things at home yes, and exactly. you know, yes. spending time, but it's just not practical. Plant-based milk is a yeah. real struggle for me. I don't uh, drink dairy and um, very fortunate to live near Totnes. Um, oh, you've got earth food lover, haven't you? So, oh yeah, we have. Yeah, which is my the where I go. Um, but also we've got this fantastic company called Rerooted who deliver doorstep um, re- uh, plant-based milk yeah. in, uh, in glass. But, you know, that is rare and we're very fortunate to have that. I think I'm um Riverford have hooked up with them haven't they yes, because they um and so I I discovered I was able to order you know oat milk with my Riverford delivery and it would come and then I could put the bottle out and it would be collected with my boxes the next time so but massively more expensive than going and buying a tetra pack from the supermarket yeah I was just going to say that but I didn't want to put people <laughs> I know it's really hard isn't it and they and so so what I was doing was ordering one bottle from them a week with my and then using tetra packs you know and so I'm I'm now trying to sort of transition to oat milk I haven't even bothered trying with the kids and my husband they're still on dairy and but we've got a um, a vending machine a, a milk vending machine up the road like literally up the road from us from a local dairy herd and so we can take our own glass bottles and fill so there's this sort of mishmash of different things that we're doing but I think that's okay isn't it it's trying to <laughs> okay, yeah. tiptoe your way towards it and it's also tricky, isn't it? Because, you know, you have a plant-based diet and, uh, and often any kind of faster foods in the plant-based diet yes. from process from in packaging. And that's something I've been grappling with, you know. Do you, do you have your milk, you know, in your glass bottles from your local herd? Yes. Or do you go plant-based? And yeah. it's like, oh, God, and then that's in Tetra Pak. So none of it's simple, but I think having these, you know, having, you know, have maybe developing a little ritual and like mm. just choosing one thing and following that journey and you know not being too hard on ourselves I think that habits are formed through not you know taking little action yes. repeatedly but not thinking that you're going to change everything like one weekend right no plastic in the house yes <laughs> yeah it's so overwhelming that it becomes impossible to feel empowered and you can never deliver on it 
Definitely. And, and you know, this episode is going to go out during Plastic Free July. And I think for a long time, every every July, like, I'm going to do Plastic Free July. And then literally on day one, I'd like open the fridge and go. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, but that that idea that you said of having a little, you know, I, one of the first steps I always encourage people to do is to do a plastic audit and sort of keep all your plastic for a week. But actually, if that feels a bit too daunting, like you said, just having a little poke around and picking one thing. OK, let's let's think about and it doesn't have to be the perfect solution. So I talked about crisps and, you know, I'd happily give them up, but the kids won't. So we get the big share bags. And so Mm. that feels like it's less plastic, but not plastic free. So, you know, thinking about what compromises you can make and not setting yourself up for this sort of perfection, plastic free perfection that that probably doesn't really exist. Exactly. So we've got, we've, you know, we've, we've come sort of full circle back to individual changes, but I just, I think I want to sort of highlight that piece you were saying about our, our citizen voice and that actually us writing, emailing, tweeting, these big companies and the big supermarkets and things that they do listen to that do they yeah they do listen and and there is you know there there are there is work to to reduce to help us with the systems happening personally you know my citizen engagement I don't know if I should say this but I would you know I am tempted to not buy anything from the big polluters Mm. also write to them saying actually I'm not going to buy anything I really love the odd diet coke yes (laughs) But I'm actually not going to have that until you provide me a system that enables me to to have that in a, in you know, without having to consume some mm. plastics. Um, but please let me know when when that's available. Yes. available, and just like little nudges like that, I think do do really help. And the more of us that do that, then then obviously uh, the more power the brands have to invest in the systems. Yeah. Are there ways that we as individuals can come and get involved in the work that Common Seas are doing? Very simply, we would absolutely love for you to follow us on Instagram. Sounds very small. Yeah, no, no, no. But we've been, um, we've, we've kind of been around for just over, we're just into our third year. And a lot of our investment of time and resource has been behind the scenes, developing our teams and country, mm. starting our work, um, developing our systems. And, and I think you know, now we're really coming out and we're wanting to share our stories and get more and more people involved. And the best, and the platform we're investing in for that is, is Instagram. Mm. So then we can do shout outs for things that we need and, yeah. and uh, you know, get input from our community through that channel. So yeah, our Instagram is just at Common Seas. I think if you've got, uh, if you're living with young people, we've got a um, education program. Called- I was going to say, I was looking at that. That's so you've got support for schools to implement sort of plastic free yeah so we've got a curriculum that's aligned to the science geography and design technology syllabus Mm -hmm. so it's a year-on-year curriculum that teachers can kind of take off the shelf if they want and teach with aligned to their learning objectives and is that for primary and secondary for primary and secondary amazing and we've got some homeschooling activities oh amazing and we've just been partnering with some incredible young people um to Amy and Sky, who are starting to work with us on developing a, a youth kind of voice and a youth led program. So, really look forward to bringing more young people actually into our team. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, by um, have a look at Ocean Plastics Academy and uh, bring it into your schools and let us know if you need any support in doing that. Amazing. Joe, um, we were talking before we hit record about you said you'd listen to the episode um, with Amanda from Just One Tree and, yeah. and uh, you know, how amazing it is and how quickly she'd come. Like, 
you your your stories are very you know you've you've seen a problem and you've kind of gone and created this you said you're a small team but it you know it feels like a um from the outside it feels like you've got a, a you know a big organization and I just can't even get my head around how you kind of start doing that and how you the the process and things so I uh, just absolutely phenomenal people probably don't take the time to say that to you but it's... Uh, thank you and, and thank you you know for having us on the, your podcast because it's it is so important to spend time sharing what we do mm. and, um you know engaging more people and getting more input into what we do so I really appreciate us being able to to speak with you and and all your incredible followers oh thanks so much thank you so much for um for taking the time it's been brilliant to chat to you thank you thank you so much you've been listening to sustainable ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.